My name is Nick Flower, and I'm a clinical psychologist who specializes in behavior therapy. And I'm Lauren McLean, and I am a therapist who specializes in behavioral therapy as well. Welcome to Psychologically Incorrect. This is a podcast about real life through the lens of behavioral psychology and applying the lessons of clinical psychology into everyday issues. We are meaning to record a day after the Texas school shooting. And so for our podcast today, we thought we would just talk about it together in real time um, to parents of young children and therapists. And so we're kind of combining both lenses right now, and we're going to kind of just get into it and discuss it. Um, so let's get started. Um, so Nick, why don't, do you want to go first? Want to tell me kind of what your initial thoughts were about everything that's been going on with this? Yeah, the first is, uh, really disgust and anger and, um, <clears throat> I don't know, me get mad, me, man, me get mad. That's kind of where my head goes as a, but I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like this keeps happening. Um, you, you asked me a question. You said, how is this sitting with me as a, as a father of school age children and, <clears throat> And your your question, I think, what was it? Um, ask it again. I forget, actually. It was... Oh, I think I said, is this kind of gutting you? I mean, do you feel pretty sick over no, this? I... As I have heard from a lot of school-age parents, in particular moms, that's because that's mostly the crowd that I talk to more. Um, there's a lot of really gutted, angry, like scared, maybe hopelessness feelings. Yeah, the scared part. The, the, so, the, so the scared part. I don't. I'm not scared. I'm not. I'm not scared of it. I don't. <clears throat> I don't think it's going to happen to my children. Um, the statistics bear that out, right? It's pretty. Uh, it's it's pretty infrequent occurrence, even though it does get a lot of attention. It's more frequent in this country, obviously, than it is in other countries statistically. Um, uh, but if you look at the number of gun deaths that occur in uh, in our country, this is infinitesimal compared to homicide rates and suicide rates. So I'm not worried about it in that sense happening. Um, but then I hate even saying that because why do I have to say that? Why do I have to say that this is an infinitesimal risk? You see what I mean? Like um, even having to talk about the statistics, uh, the stats of it in that fashion drives me nuts um, because no, in no other place in the world do, does a parent or a, or a, or a, or a, or a citizen have to talk about what that caveat. Oh, it's, yeah, it happens, but it's pretty rare. Um, that's not the place. Uh, that's not the place I like to be. You know what I mean? Uh, but it is where we're at. And so, no, I'm. I don't have fear about it, but I do have a lot of anger and frustration that it keeps happening. Um, that's kind of where I sit with it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I guess why don't I say where I sit with it, and then like yeah. we can get into kind of yeah. some of the bigger topics. Um, you know, it's funny. I have all my notifications, uh, silenced on my computer for when I'm doing, you know, therapy on telemedicine and for whatever right. reason, the notification popped through yesterday, like broke the firewall oh, and, oh, um, no. yeah, so it just kind of popped up and it was weird because it popped up a couple times. Like first it said like, um, school shooting at an elementary school in Texas, one person dead, gunman dead. And then I got maybe like two or three more over the course of the hour with the number just keep rising. 
And um, it was just a very, like, strange thing to not only be like, wait, I'm not even supposed to be getting notifications, but to keep getting these notifications and to have the number keep rising was just this very eerie feeling that I had to kind of just, like, try to ignore and be professional and stay in the conversation. But um, Mm -hmm. it was, I feel like I have such mixed emotions and I'm, like, confused about the emotions that I'm feeling it's like hard to even kind of put words on it. You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm really going to anger. I'm, I feel, I feel very sad. I'm not somebody who cries easily, but like I got a little tearful just thinking about it today. Um, knowing that I have a rising kindergartner next year and my daughter's going to be going to school. Um, so, and I got a lot of tear, a little tearful, really like thinking about those parents and like what an absolute nightmare that that must be. Um, so yeah, so I, I did feel a little bit sad, uh, not a little bit sad. I felt sad. Um, but I, I think that, um, what I think is interesting is, um, when I heard about Buffalo, I was like disgusted. I was like that, that is sick. That is terrible. That is heartbreaking. Like what the hell is the matter with people? Um, But I would imagine as a member of the black community and other people of color, you hear that and it just takes like, you know, like you can't breathe, you know, I mean, you're just, it's suffocating to think about because that that's your population, right? I mean, that's a, that's, you're a part of that group. And I think that for, for young parents, why I asked you that question is that I think it hits in that same way, right? Like, what the yeah. Buffalo shooting was to the black community, the, these school shootings, especially elementary, is to, to parents. young parents. And as a member right. of the community of young parents, that felt that felt really bad. I, I agree with what you were saying in terms of possibility and probability, and we'll certainly talk about that more. But, um, yeah, I felt really sad. I felt like I, I could relate in a way that I, I hated relating. And it made me feel even more empathic to the black community for that recent Buffalo shooting. Um, Mm. because when it's, when it's a community you're part of it, it feels worse. Um, or like, yeah. Yeah. So I'd say that's my initial thing. I would say the other emotion that is a much more complicated one that we can talk more about is I feel pretty hopeless. Um, which is a pretty depressing thing. So I think that's a bigger conversation. Yeah. Hopelessness. Awesome. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I talk with my patients about that a lot, you know, with OCD and anxiety and depression, uh, they get there, you know, pretty regularly, you know, and so I'm often talking about that in sessions and then, you know, um, here I am having to struggle with that, you know, and, um, one of my patients this morning, and that's the thing, like, as a, as a psychologist, I'm like, all right, now I got to do this again, you know, um, first of all, just be every once in a while, deeply mournful and angry and sad over some awful tragedy that happened. Unique to the country in which I choose to live, you know. Um, And then as a a therapist, starting off every session with, how's it going? Um, How is it sitting with you? And then that's just, you know... um, I guess I'm annoyed by that. I don't know. But yet, but yet again, just like with that, we have to keep talking about this, that we have to keep doing this. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless because this is a norm. This is the normal 
uh, reality of living in our country at this point in its existence. And I don't like logically, I'm not that, that I might, <laughs> it's so funny. No, this isn't funny, but like I'm talking with people who have struggled with depression all the time about their hopelessness. And I can see a light out of that. You know what I mean? Because I think that they're viewing things through distorted, you know, lenses as we, you know, the, the whole point of this podcast, you know, using cognitive behavioral therapy, they're distorting their thinking and they're really resting on that. And, and, and I, but I'm like, oh, this is for real. I'm for real hopeless. I have statistics that back me up. Those statistics are pretty gloomy. There's 300 million people uh, plus in America. There's about that many guns, uh, you know, and they just fly off the shelves during these times. You know, we're going to get a report in a week or uh, a month from now that says gun sales through the roof after the latest shooting. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're we just get deeper in. It's like we dig a hole and we just keep on digging. And yeah, I mean, that's the that's the lead into my hopelessness about this. Um, we didn't even get into the politics of it, but it's like a it's like a uh, it's a no go for politics because of the gun lobby and everything else. And but yet, when you look at polling, the majority of people want to have change and want to have what what is called common sense gun regulation. Um, but uh, yeah, hopelessness, hopelessness. That's for sure. You want, let me give you the microphone. <laughs> hopelessness. You um, go. Yeah, I think yeah. So your hopelessness is I don't see a way out. It keeps happening. We keep having to talk about it. There's not necessarily a solve that you can see. Okay, so that's your side of hopelessness. Um, I think, um, I don't know if you perchance, there were two videos that were really swirling social media yesterday. One, I believe, was the Golden State Warriors coach. Um, and the other was the um, the senator from Connecticut. Murphy. Did you see either of those videos? I started to watch Murphy, but then okay. I stopped. Um, Murphy said essentially repeatedly for two minutes, what are we doing as senators, right? We've had this legislation that passed in the House two years ago. We have 50 senators that are refusing to vote on it. Like, what are we doing? That was the gist of what he was saying. Did you see the Golden State Warriors um I didn't watch okay. that. Let me just say, the, the reason I didn't want, the reason I stopped watching it was because of hopelessness. Honestly, I was like, you know what? Screw this. I don't want to see Chris Murphy, who I happen to like his stance on gun control. Or not gun, and I'm trying to stop saying that because gun, so, you know, that's like, a, we're not supposed to say gun control. It's like gun regulation. That's a more um, easily digestible term for both sides. God. Um, but, uh, but I but I happen to like like what he has to say about it. But I don't want to watch it because what's it going to do? What am What am I going to What am I going to like it on Facebook? What am I going to put it? On? No, I'm not. Because there's ten other. I just I just don't. I'm Good got, point. I just got so. I'm like you know what? I'm sure he's saying something awesome, and I'm sure Steve Kerr did too. I, I I'm just I I wasn't ready yeah. yet. You know what I mean? That was where I was at last yeah, night. Yeah, valid. Um, valid. I, I think both of them were really impassioned. Um, and if you, and that their impassioned anger and um, call for action, I think is really mm -hmm. validating to moms and, and dads like us, right? Sure. And not in, sure. not just our group, like as a human being who cares about other people and don't want people to get shot sure. randomly. But that's what you're talking about is moms and dads. Moms and dads, right? Yeah. 
So yeah. the yeah. impassioned call is really validating and it's easy to take that, validate yes. our own anger, and then kind of yell louder into the abyss. And to your point about mm -hmm. hopelessness, I don't know how much that's going to solve things or change things. It, it feels good yeah. in the moment to not feel alone and to have something to rally around. But getting into my hopelessness, um, I, both of them were calling on Washington and, and politics to change. And I think even if we got uh, any legislation around guns, I don't think it's going to solve the problem because it doesn't mm -hmm. solve the problem of getting guns out of homes that already have homes. It doesn't solve the problem mm. of the fact that if you have guns in your home, you know, are you securing your guns? Are they, who is it accessible to, you know? Right. And right. I also think that if somebody really desperately wants to get a gun, they're going to find a way to get a gun, even with legislation around um, guns. So I, I, I think that, you know, we can call to Washington all we want. They're not necessarily doing anything. And I don't think that that's enough of a solve anyway, which is why I feel hopeless. So your hopelessness is about the, the political motivation to do anything. No, 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 yeah. it's not, not, no, not even necessarily. I think that, um, I think I told, I told you in the last pod, I was a political science major at the end of four years, my determination was, I don't think politics works very well. And it, it doesn't mm. feel like a good use of my time to pursue a career in it. And um, right. I think that this is the perfect example, right? Like we can get really mad at our politicians and blame them and say, it's your fault mm. because you've sat on legislation for two years. But even if they pass that legislation, I don't think school shootings are gonna end. I think he- Oh, okay. Right? Your, your your helplessness is even if they do do something, it's not going to be no, sufficient. of course not, because that's that's no, I, that's not the root of the issue. There are so many deeper reasons why we have school shootings and random shootings in America. Yeah. It's not about guns. Guns are the final step. Well, but guns are the mechanism through which it occurs. I mean, you know, this is the argument where people say guns don't kill people. People go sure. People go, no, that's that's not true. Like it's like saying a hammer. I was thinking about what's a good metaphor to counteract that because it's a silly thing to say. Hammers don't nail nails. People nail nails. Yes, but people aren't going to pound a nail with their fist. Okay, true. you know it's not going to get nailed unless you have a hammer. So um, the ubiquity of guns is the, is the problem. And I agree that there's not going to be a uh, even even if they. Here's the thing. I thought about this at the one of the last school shootings because you reflect on this every time there's one of these shootings and let me just say that's also kind of dumb because of the nightly daily violence and the homicide and suicide rate is way more loads bigger than the small amounts of people that are killed by mass shootings okay so i, I hate even talk i hate even that that's true you know, let's that we're have having a broader this, conversation yeah, we should have this conversation daily about. But anyway, so um, get me back to where I was. Uh, the, the the ubiquity of guns is the problem, and I've thought before. Even if even if tomorrow every gun manufacturer stopped making guns, okay, we would still have for the next fifty, a hundred years. Let's say a hundred years, we would still have 
a school shooting of this magnitude at least once every 10, one every, once every five years. And this, the last one was 10 years ago. Well, the last big one, there were more. If we talk to people with mom's demand action or Gabby Gifford's thing or whatever, they keep really good stats on this. There would, um, there, um, there have certainly been school shootings be- between Florida, this the one, one in and- um, Fort Lauderdale. Oh, Parkland. Parkland, right. And another ones that we don't know, where one kid gets killed. It's like, oh, well, it's just, it's just a one-off. Like, you know, something like, I'm sure, okay, so I don't know that for sure, but I'm, 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 I would bet you. Um, but even if we stop the gun manufacturers tomorrow from producing one more gun, uh, it would be another 100 years of this. So that's depressing. But if we enacted some legislation now that made guns uh, ha- have some safety mechanisms to them, um, Nick Kristoff did a great article a few years back. It was rerun in the New York Times yesterday. I encourage you to read it. Um, What's it called? It. And he... Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> we'll Just find go... it. I'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Um, but anyway, he gives really good stats. There's good graphs about, you know, uh, you know, the homicide rate, suicide rate, you know, all that stuff. And, and he, he likens it to like, listen, do this like we did automobiles, you know, and there's a great graph on there, like in 1946, when the first seatbelt came out and from then until now, but the death rate just goes down and down and down and down because, because laws have been enacted to make cars safer. Mm. You know what I mean? That's where I think legislation could go here. Now, so to your point about the hopelessness that it wouldn't matter, I think that there are things that we can do from a political perspective and an advocacy perspective to make make it harder to do Got this. And, 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 and we talk about, if you look at suicide prevention, we do the same thing. My wife and I went to San Francisco 2014, maybe, um, before kids. It was great. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever been to San no. Francisco? Oh my God, it's wonderful. I, there's the song, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. I see why. It's absolutely beautiful. We walked and we walked. And we're all in that city. It was just such a great time. We walked across the Golden, uh, Golden Gate Bridge. And on there, they have these signs uh, for, mental, uh, for mental health, for suicide prevention. It says, if, you're, if you need help, call this number. And they actually have a netting out there now, too. Because so mm-hmm. many people, when they want a suicide, they go to the Golden State Bridge. And we mental health experts know this. The community knows this. They gathered around. Some law was passed, and they made the bridge harder to kill yourself off of. All right. Okay. Touche, Nick. Let me rephrase. In the spirit of CBT, um, my hopelessness was clouding. You're right. Of course. It's not that policy is hopeless, and it will do nothing. I think maybe to challenge myself. Well, you didn't. No, 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 no. no. But no, yeah, let me just say this. It's both and, right? So like, yes, I agree. Legislation is going to help, but it's not going to be the only thing that's going to solve the issue. And that's what you're speaking to, right? And I think that like, that's the part that I get depressed about is that the roots go so far down. You know, I think the people that are actually going to solve the issue, if the issue gets solved, are parents. Because people, what makes somebody be a school shooter? You go first. What would it what get inside psychologically get inside the mind of somebody who would want to go shoot up a school? What led them to that okay. day? Loneliness, isolation, yep. um, incels, social media, bifurcating and uh, and bi- bipolarizing our opinions and the worsening of that. We've talked about that. We were going to talk about today. Yeah. Podcast. 
but isolation, feeling alone, feeling alone, feeling isolated. Uh, uh, you would say mental health issues, but I don't want to say that mental health is causing all of this. It's just, I think it's just lonely. I, that's that's where I go. What about you? Um, I think that I think radical communities. There's a, you know, they we know that the Buffalo shooter was very involved in some radical communities. Um, which is, you know, accessed online. And but you wouldn't go to those radical communities if you didn't feel lonely and isolated and disengaged. I think that um, the video, the big video game lobby might go after me for this one. But I think video games contribute to some degree. I don't know. I was thinking about this today. Has there ever been a female uh, school shooter or like mass? Are, are they always male? I don't know. I think always male, male, right? So there's something to that. But so, okay, so think about lonely, isolation, and radicalized. You are not participating in life if you feel that way, right? right. And what are you doing if you're feeling that way? You're on your phone and you're scrolling, right? Or your computer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You are lost on the interwebs, right? And right. because you are on the interwebs, you're not going for hikes and, you know, playing sports or, you know, going to museums yeah. or building, you know, Lego fire trucks or whatever you would be participating in life, right? Go back, you know, 60 years. If you're doing farm tours, you're not on the internet reading about like, how do, how do I have mass shootings, right? Like, and right. I think that, you know, that's the part that depresses me is the real root of the thing is that how do you pull kids out of loneliness and all in isolation and help keep them on track right like it was in the in the buffalo shooter his parents had no clue he was lying to them and saying he was going to college right like oh my god oh yeah his that. parents had no clue um what what the no he was clue. lying and saying he was going to college he wrote in this online journal that he posted before the shooting that his parents are starting to become suspicious of him. Like his parents literally had no clue what this kid was going through because oh, lonely, isolated kids don't trust people and they hide from people, especially when they're in these radicalized communities. So that's the part that depresses me is I feel like this goes back to like the tremendous responsibility of being a parent. And as a parent, yeah. we are all wrapped up in our own lives, our work, our interests, whatever, you know, we fall victim to, you know, being captivated by our phone and the internet and whatever. And it's, yeah. it just feels like you're staring at the bottom of a mountain trying to figure out how are we going to keep kids from kind of falling into that social isolation, which leads to this problem. Yeah. So I think we both agree then. Social death, social isolation to social death will lead people to, well, I was going to say social media or the internet or whatever, or these like communities online. Um, but I think they also probably happen at the same time. It's like, you know, here's a community that will accept me. Here's a, um, that, that will listen to my ideas and, um, or feed me some new ones. It's a very scary. Oh my God. That's a very scary thing to think about. And, and, and we were going to, I think, I think probably you and I have similar feelings about social media and, and the impact of this on our, on ourselves and on our children, that we're probably going to be blaming that a lot. And I, I, I feel, I feel that that's part of this because we're, we're no doubt. Like I, I haven't read anything else about this. I read a couple articles in the times yesterday, but like, 
let's put a nickel on this. I mean, this guy was, you know, looking this stuff up online. He probably um, either idolized or liked the Sandy Hook shooter and uh, looked up, you know, what's the best armor to use. You know, mm-hmm. right? You know he found his way. And there are some of these websites like 4chan or 8chan or whatever that encourage it, you know? And how do we get – so our task is – What's our task here? How do we address this as a, as a, you know, as therapist, as, as citizens, really, I think I'm thinking broadly about this as a citizen, you know, a bit like, but in our, in our special role of meeting with people and advocating for these things, you know, what, 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 what can, what can we do here? If we're ready to talk about that. Yeah. I don't know. I do want to talk about, let me just say, I did bring up video games and let me, let me say why I feel like video games are at least part of this. Yeah. Why do you say video games? Cause I don't, I don't know what you mean by that. Um, Video games, and I should preface this by saying I've actually never really played video games. I've played Duck Hunt and Super Mario Brothers as a kid, but I don't have a lot of um, yeah. I don't have a lot of experience with video games. However, one thing I know about video games is they are addictive, and the more you play, the more you want to play, especially kids. And the other thing about video games, it is a made-up fantasy world where you can feel powerful, and even if it's not a violent video game. You know, for for kids that are isolated, being able to live in an alternate reality, being able to feel powerful, being able to, you know, have that experience, I think not all kids, but for kids that are ripe for this, the socially isolated, you know, the like um, finding themselves... Mm. Uh, you know, on these radical communities, you know, whatever, like video games and the idea that I can feel powerful in an alternative world and I hate the real world, that's going to contribute to some amount of wanting to feel powerful in the way you can know how to feel powerful in the real world. Real. And you know what I mean? So um, I don't think that, let's be perfectly clear, I don't think video games are going to, you know, like screw up every kid and every parent that lets their kid play video games, but, you know, in the right context. You're saying it's, you're saying if somebody is primed for it, you're saying if somebody has the prerequisite ingredients already, and then you add a little bit of video game spice to it, then that might be influential to the degree that they might. Contributing um, factor. Right. The the idea of like fantasy can be your reality, I think, is somewhat problematic. But I don't think that means that we have to like get rid of video games. But I think that like in my mind, it's more about we need to participate in the world in a meaningful way, in a way that is, you know, towards growth, you know, personally, academically, whatever, and socially. Yeah, I and I think what what I'm taking from what you're saying though is similar to what you say about social media and 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 being in these other worlds anyway, whether it's a video game yes. or whatever, they're not engaged in Legos and dirt and bikes and whatever. You know, and I'm going to sound like an old person here. I really am, but I mean, god, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Like there's that's the other thing that makes me hopeless, by the way, is this uh, concept of a metaverse and all this kind of stuff like as we're moving towards it. I want ze- I want zero part of that. I want no part of that. I want no part of that. Even in my work, like these Oculus Prime things, these um, yep. virtual reality that, that you and I could use to great service for people with trauma and whatever else we could really go and or plane phobias Def, or whatever. Definitely. Phobias. Um, 
we we probably maybe should be doing that, but I really just want no part of it um, because I uh, there's <laughs> this sounds hokey, but there's there's so much good to experience, you know, outside of these computers and social media. I just hate how it has totally consumed us, and I think that it contributes. I think that that's what I'm taking from what you're saying is that the video games is another version of sort of taking a person out of the real world and 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 real social interaction exactly exactly um i i was at orange theory today and i was running on the treadmill and then you know there's mirrors everywhere in gyms and i saw the teacher for the next class come in she walked in she said hi to the person at the desk and then she sat down she took out her phone and she just started scrolling like it was just like i walk in a place i sit down I catch up on what I missed. And you can really tell if somebody's quickly typing out a text message or if they're scrolling. And it was just so interesting to me. And like, by the way, I'm no better. Like I walk in my house sometimes, take out my phone, check in. You know, I'm not, you know, criticizing this person, but it's really interesting when you watch other people doing it versus when you're doing it yourself. Because I was just like, wow, like this is where we are. That like we walk in a place, we sit down, we check in. And how good you are at pulling out is like essentially the important skill. Right. And and I think that's where, I, no, that's really well said and, and a good observation. And I see it a lot. I told you when I went to Disney World, I was going to take a picture of it. These people, these kids on the monorail, they're on the monorail at Disney, you know? Yeah. Stroll and then doing the ducky face kissy selfie. I just, well, that's a whole other thing. But, um, you know, um, it is, it is our... It is our situation now and how good you are at pulling out of it. Now that's tough though, because like you said, you're no better, right? Because these things, they built these things. There are computer science, there are psychologists, computer scientists working on these things to get you to stay on them, to get you to become involved and to stay in. They don't make video games boring. They make them exciting. So you keep buying them and you stay on them constantly. That They make money that way. Um, that's it. You know what I mean? And, and so we have to uh, appreciate that because it's, it's one thing to say, oh, kids on their phones these days, they need to you know, go outside and play. Well, we have to pay real respect to the science that goes behind addictive scrolling mechanisms that we see you know, on Facebook and, and wherever else. Um, TikTok is a really good recent example. Like they know how long to make those videos to keep people engaged, and it is very engaging. Yeah. So, so to go back to this whole like shooter thing, the whole point is if you're isolated and you lock in to your phone, you're not isolated. It's just the content that you are consuming then shapes how you view the world and how you think about the world. And how you and behave. How you behave. And if you feel really small in real life and you have all of this kind of brooding stuff under the surface of anger, right? There's a lot of anger and why people would want to go do this. Um, so we have unhealthy ideas. We have anger. We have isolation. We have an arena where we feel powerful. We crave that. We want to do it in a different arena. That's how we get to this. So there's lots of things that are kind of contributing to why this happens. We hate that this happens. Um, I think there's two topics we could talk about that could be really useful. Number one, um, wh what do we think could help overcome 
right? Like how, how do we, how do we contribute, right? The second one is how do you talk to your kids about this? I feel like that's something that that's we could good. certainly add some value to. Yeah. So, so yeah, in terms of uh, next call, let's talk about that one first. I mean, where do you feel like social growth could happen? Um, what do you, well, where social growth, are you, are you addressing like the isolation piece? Yeah, I mean, we, we know that gun violence is a huge issue, a huge umbrella issue. You know what, Lauren, let me, let yes. me interrupt you for a second. Can we go to how we talk our kids? Sure, let's do that. Because I, I'm, you know why I'm saying that? Because I want to avoid that. I actually don't want to talk about that with you right now because I don't want to think about it. Valid. You know? And I am glad that my children are young enough that I could probably skirt away with not talking about it yet. But of course, like I said, this is going to happen again. So I'm going to have to have this conversation. Um, let's get into that. How do we talk to our kids about this? Um, I'll go first since I'm avoiding <laughs> Okay, go for it. Okay. Um, I can't be like an ostrich and stick my head in the sand. I actually, okay, so my daughter, my oldest daughter is in first grade. She's seven years old. Um, I don't think I'm going to bring it up to her because I think she's too young and she doesn't watch the news. Is that me avoiding? You know, because if she hears something about it in school today, I'm going to let her take the lead. If she comes home and says, hey, that my teacher said some people did some bad things, then I will absolutely have the talk. You know, I will take her lead. Um, so I'm not going to avoid it in that sense, but... You know, it's almost like there's an innocence I want to keep with her. And I don't know. That's just that's just where I'm with it. So, yeah, you know, um, my nephew's in first grade and my sister told me that he has drills at his school and they call them wild animal drills. Is that how it is at your daughter's school? Yeah, it's called it's something similar. God, it's something similar. That makes me so sad. But yeah. Um, you know, I think that how to talk to your kids, uh, I think the first thing is it has to be age appropriate and the smaller the kid, the less details they need. And I think that that's a good rule of thumb. I think that if I had a, you know, fifth grader plus, I think you have to have a much more in-depth, real conversation about it. I think sure. that for the younger kids, um, it's it has to be more about context. And you have to kind of, it, you want to look at it in what we'd call like a dialectical way, where we're looking from a very broad lens. I think that you're having this conversation the same way you're talking to your kids about safety things in general, right? We cross, we look sure. both ways when we cross the street because we want to make sure that we stay safe. And largely, we will stay safe if we look both ways when we cross the street. And sometimes people aren't looking and they run red lights and that is possible and we hate that it's possible and there's not a ton that we can do about it. But what we can do is we can look both ways, hold your adult's hand, you know, be keep your head on a swivel right be you know clear to our surroundings so like casting this really wide lens so i think that you know to the to the degree that your kids you know i don't think my five-year-old knows really much about guns i mean she knows about toy guns and you know whatever but i don't Mm -hmm. think she understands that there are real guns that have bullets that kill people 
Um, and I think that w what we talk about, it, w what I would suggest talking about with a very young kid is this idea that, you know, sometimes people get hurt with guns on purpose and not on purpose. And um, mm. we hate when it happens and it's always very sad. And there's a reason that we want to be safe and we want to keep be aware of our surroundings and we have to trust adults and it's okay to be scared. And it's also important that we live in the world and we be in the moment and that we have fun. And we do the, you know, we do the drills at school and um, right. let's see, what else would I say? Um, I think I might say something well, like, you know, just how people can get sick physically in our bodies. Some people have mental mm -hmm. illness, which is when people kind of well, get sick good. in their brain. And when people yeah. are sick in their brain, they can do things that are hurtful to others. And they may not know what they're doing or realize why they are doing it. And yet it can have an impact. And I, as your parent, I'm going to do everything I can to protect you from you know, cars driving too fast or not putting you in safe situations and so on and so forth. And that's all we can do, you know, but I think I would explain right. there, are, there are accidents, there are, there's mental illness, there's safety. Um, I think it's also important for kids to have agency and kind of talk about what they can do to stay safe. If you ever feel unsafe, yeah. you go to adult. You know, if you're in a place, you could always leave the place. You can hide under a table. Like there's all sorts of things that you can do to make yourself feel more safe. And I think giving them that little bit of agency is huge because when we hear about these awful things in the world, uh, we, one thing that happens is we feel like we're losing our agency. So I don't know. What else would you add to that conversation? No, that was good. You do. A, can you talk to my kids <laughs> uh, when, when they, um, no, I, I think. One of the things I thought of was, uh, you know, like in school, we, we used to have tornado drills. They were for legit tornadoes, and this is a similar thing. And I bet the teachers are talking about that, too. They're lumping that in. If something bad happens, we're going to go over here. This is for a, a, the big bad wolf drill, you know, um, and this is for, you know, uh, a tornado. We go in the basement or underneath the structure or whatever, um, something like that. Because then they can frame it as, oh, there's a danger. It's, it's a danger similar to a tornado or something else. Um, I really like what you said about the um, about describing mental illness. People get physical illness, but people get illness in their brain in terms of how they think about things. And sometimes that makes them do bad things. That's a pretty good way um, to speak to them about that. Um, because you want them to be aware. You want them to, you, you don't want to um, do what I'd like to do is, you know, <laughs> never have this happen and never talk about it. Um, but uh but we we have to treat them, you know, with the respect they deserve, and, and speak about it in that fact. No, I think I think you covered it. I'm, um, I think you covered it. So I don't know. I mean, are you? Do you know if your school is talking to your kids or about it? Or oh uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I doubt my my kids are still in preschool, so I, I doubt they're having that conversation. Oh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think tornado drill. I think fire drill. I think that with childhood anxiety, it really always attaches to things like fires and tornadoes and like, you yeah. know, natural disasters yeah. and whatever. And I think kind of lumping that with lumping this with that is probably the healthiest thing you can do for your kid. 
um, yeah. because it's just kind of explaining, yes, things happen and here's how we stay safe, right? Like we have our fire safety plan, we have this and like, this is what we can do. And, you know, lots of room for validating. Um, but you also, you know, you talked about this earlier in the conversation of you're not worried about this having, help, having to your kids. And one of the tricks, I guess we could say in CBT that we use is this idea of possibility and probability. So these shootings are certainly possible because they happen. Right. Um, but the statistics, the probability of it happening, these numbers can be into, you know, big ranges. And um, a lot of times with anxiety and, you know, emotions, like I said, this one hit closer to home. And so because of that, it feels more real and it's easy for us to get stuck in. This is possible. This happens. This could happen to my kid, which is a feeling that will gut you. Um, to, to zoom out and look at the significance and, and the relevance of it, of it, uh, the reliability of it, um, that can help give a little bit of agency. For us, For as, us parents. as parents, but also as kids, right? So like, you've got a kid yeah. that's really worried about fires. Well, okay, we've had like one this year in our town, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, right? And so like, right. yes, it's scary and have a plan and it doesn't happen to every house every day. Right, right. Yeah, and you know, and, and when we're working with our patients, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, am I going to die on an airplane or a, or, a, or a car accident or whatever? We would use that same logic. Now that doesn't, you know, like with exposure therapy, that doesn't help. You know, it doesn't help to just say, well, this is a rare occurrence. I mean, sometimes it helps. We're using cognitive therapy to try to help them understand that, that, that this is an overblown ca catastrophic fear. But then the action still needs to take place where they go to the, they, they do the thing. They drive in the car, they fly in the airplane, they send their kids to school, you know, and, um, and my wife said it last night. She said, it's going to be hard to put her on the bus this morning, you know, and, um, you know, I, I understand why she says that I didn't, I didn't have, like I said, I don't have that fear, uh, but I get it, but we still have to send her, Absolutely. you know what I mean? We still have to do it. Um, you know, I thought of one other thing that parents could talk to their kids about, and this is kind of age appropriate is encourage the kids to advocate to their teachers, to their principals of, I want to help keep my school safe. What can I do? Mm. You know, and I think that that would be that that's huge, you know, for an older kid, you know, asking for safety yeah. training, asking to have a guard, asking, you know, right. that they're in put like a, a buzzer system you know, and the school sure. so that people can't just walk in. Right. Um, I think that the sure. more encouraged that kids can take, uh, to take advocacy in the school and in their community, that's the thing that's actually going to probably help them feel more safe. Now I can't say that that's going to, uh, prohibit this from happening, but now we're teaching kids kind of healthy coping. Oh, and I, I don't know. I, I think it, I think it, I think it makes it harder sure. for it to occur. And that's what I'm about with this whole debate is making it, um, making it harder to commit suicide on the, on the bridge by putting a net up and putting some signs for mental health awareness or suicide prevention. Um, you know, with the gun thing, there, there are, there is technology that exists. I mean, for crying out loud, I used to, what I was going to say was this is the older iPhone. You could put your, your, um, the whole used to have a home button, you know what I mean? It would read your mm -hmm. fingerprint. 
Uh, my computer still has one. But it looks at your face, you know? And there is technology that, that exists, like really snappy, cool technology that it could exist that could be placed on a gun that can only fire if, oh, you know, cool. if the sensor reads your face or something like that. Like that stuff exists. That's really cool. Um, I don't know about that particular one, but I know that I watched one program in 60 Minutes or something, and the guy had a wristband on, like a watch type thing. And it only, the gun only fired if that was, you know, in close enough proximity to the person's hand. I mean, these things exist. That's no different than the netting on the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. I love that. Or a seatbelt in your car. And uh, to be honest, I, I, I kinda, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here. I don't mean to, but um, I talked to Senator Toomey's office. Oh, good. Uh, Pennsylvania. And I mentioned this. Uh, to her and she said yeah that's a good idea because that doesn't infringe upon anybody's rights and that's the big issue with the second amendment is to not infringe upon rights so now anyway long story short there, there are things that we can do and when the kids like you're saying if they're age appropriate or advocating for this in their in their school then they are taking a small part as a community and we're teaching that and modeling that that we have to work together to solve this and if they're advocating at school and their voices young as they are that can uh, can and that does give me hope that we can do something. You know, I love that idea that you just had of like facial re- recognition software on guns. I mean, like that is literally brilliant, and it solves so many problems. Um, and I think that 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 literally gives me hope. I mean, that because you know, I mean, when I think about yeah. the political part, why I feel so hopeless and frustrated is I just don't see either side bending. They're more interested in, you know, like vilifying the other side than they are towards progress right now. And that's depressing. And um, yeah, I mean, and I think what you're talking about is that there's actually a way that both sides could get what they want and we can keep people safer. And that is some, that's some really awesome creative problem solving. Um, Okay. So two, Two other things. I think that, um, I don't know if you saw this, but there was this um, story in the news a couple months ago. It was during the Omicron surge, so like January, February, of moms were gathering in fields to to have primal screams together. Did you hear about this? Your face is telling me you did it. I thought it was pretty hilarious and awesome. And I knew some, I knew a girl I went to college with that participated in one. And she said it was, it was very liberating to meet with a group of other moms in a field and to just scream because it's all so darn frustrating. And I think sure. that for parents that are navigating this right now and having to talk to their kids and kind of think, you know, as your wife, hard to put my daughter on the bus. Like I would yeah. encourage parents to go find the metaphorical field to scream in, like take a moment and just work through your emotions, however they are so that you can actually get yeah. your head on and, figure out how to roll up your sleeves, how to be there for your kids, so on and so forth. The funny thing that I'll say is, um, I don't know if we mentioned this, but we're both big comedy fans and Chris Rock has Mm -hmm. really funny bit once that I heard him do about about bullets, bullets, right? And it's, it goes along the lines to tell me if I left out anything out is that guns aren't actually the problem. Um, if we really want less gun deaths we need to make bullets really really expensive got to take care of the bullets (laughs) (laughs) we need to make bullets really expensive because if i could afford to get a bullet i'd really like to pull it in you or put it in you right like um yeah right and it's just 
it's funny. There's another, um, there's another, there's another strategy. Um, I think I like yours better. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I thought about his too. I'm actually, I, I, at one point I mentioned, I think I, at one point, honest to God, I think I mentioned Chris Rock's name to, uh, you know, a politician or somebody in a politician's office. I think, like there's things that can be done. And, and, and that is the hopefulness that I do have. You know, I, I am, I do feel a sense of, we started off, not started, we kind of like delved into, dove into hopelessness a, a minute, but ultimately I'm not, it's not my personality. Um, so it, it does, you know, I, I like to be a problem solver and I, I want to think about things and, and that's part of why we're doing this podcast. You know what I mean? Because we, we have hope for people um, within what we do with our work with, you know, people with mental illness and, you know, the society at large with, you know, the, the way that we think about things. Our whole podcast is predicated on that idea that there is hope if we, you know, if we can get to the good information and, and, and really talk with each other about it. And so ultimately I am, I do have hope. I'm pretty disgusted. It's, it's hard for me to even get that out of my mouth right now. Um, but as we talk about some of these solutions, it does um, it does give me a sense that we can uh, if we keep at it. So I'll go ahead and I'll watch. Listen, I'll watch Chris Murphy. Okay, I'll watch him. He'll give me some hope. I he think, might make maybe. you angry. Yeah, well, that's okay too. I'm pretty angry too. Uh, but um, but thanks for talking with me about this today, Lauren. I think it was a good um, a good discussion. yeah. It was a good talk. Um, we didn't really touch much more on what you can do but i do want to say for somebody who's pretty hopeless i'm pretty impressed that you called your senator and offered some suggestions <laughs> like to me that that is a yeah. really good example of things that you can do i think that um the only thing i would maybe add and we can talk more about this on another date is that i think as a parent don't be afraid to be all up in your kids business and don't be afraid to yeah. turn off the TV and turn off right. the video games and take away the phones or have phone free time and force your kids to yeah. go outside and have experiences and socially engage and all of that. I think that that pound uh, that, you know, what is it? A pound of meth? No, pound of cure, whatever I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? That <laughs> right. is something Maybe that they... is so worth the investment. Um, the more engaged you can be in your kid's life, the better they will do. I agree. And the more and the more engaged that they are with the universe, not the metaverse. <laughs> I like that. Uh, the, is 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 going to be better for them. And and you know and, and I know you and I are going to talk about um our our issues with social media and 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 exclusively and it's some um upcoming podcast but um but uh, this was a good talk today about a very dark Yeah. Topic. Cool. All right, sounds good. Uh we'll sign out here. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Credit to our theme music to my brother, Andrew McLean. Please subscribe, leave a review, and tell us what you think. All opinions are our own.